this is episode 307 of The Amy Ehlers Show. This show is especially for powerful, high-achieving, high-level women that are ready, really ready to stop being so hard on themselves so they can make their greatest contribution. Show notes from today's episode can be found at amyaylorshow.com forward slash 307. That's amyaylorshow.com forward slash 307. You are going to love this very special interview that I did with my dear friend, the brilliant artist, renowned painter, teacher, poet, Shiloh Sophia, about how to use intentional creativity with your clients. I like to call this the cutting edge of coaching. And I know that you're gonna love today's interview, which is taken from a Facebook Live that I did with my dear friend Shiloh. You're gonna love learning all about intentional creativity and this innovative methodology that really brings to light the power of how to use your right brain to access knowledge, insights, and creative thinking that simply cannot be accessed any other way. Now, Shiloh is right in the middle of allowing people in to what's called Motherboard, which is her intentional creativity method coaching certification training. So if you're interested in that, check out the link in the show notes so that you can go on over and learn all about that training. I'm actually the director of coaching for that program, and I'm so excited to help my fellow coaches, healers, therapists, practitioners of all kinds to add intentional creativity to their tool chest. So with that, on with the show. I really wanted to do this call today with my dear friend, Shiloh Sophia, because I feel like as a coach, I've been a coach now for almost two decades, going on 20 years. And I feel like for any of us, whether you're a coach or a therapist or a healer of some sort, anybody that's a practitioner, any of you that are working one-on-one with clients and small groups with clients or even doing workshops with clients, We are always looking for what is that cutting edge that's going to help us help our clients get even better results. And in my friendship and being a colleague and working side by side with Shiloh Sophia over the last seven, nine years, eight years, somewhere in there, I have just been blown away at the power of creativity and utilizing art to really help us get into what is really going on for our clients. And so I wanted to host this call today to talk about this game changer and what Shiloh's bringing into the world so that we can really get better results, have an even deeper and more profound impact with our clients. So let me just introduce Shiloh Sophia. She is a world-renowned painter, teacher, artist, poet, She has been living and breathing this work really since she was a little girl. And I'll have her talk about that a little bit as well today. But she is someone that is the founder of what's called intentional creativity. If you haven't heard of that yet, now you have. And it's going to rock your world because not only are we going to talk about it today, but we're going to have Shiloh do a demonstration for us and give you an experience of it today. And she's also created a profound technology called metacognitive drawing which we're going to also talk about today. So with that, Shiloh, thank you so much for doing this interview with me today. I'm so excited to have you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amy, and for all of you for joining us for this dialogue. It feels so timely. I don't know about you, but when I look around at the world around me, 
my desire to dive into my own work and how that relates with others is so amplified, especially if I can find a way to relate what I'm doing with my work to the future that I want to create for, you know, for, the, for all of us and for all of us to be engaged in what does it really look like to create the future we want to see? And how does that map to the work that we do for a living or in our practices? Mm, I love that. Yes. And goodness knows that the world needs our help right now. So I, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit about how you came upon creating intentional creativity and what that really is. Mm, absolutely. Well, intentional creativity is simply to create with intention. It's inherent in the name and it's not some great mystery, but it is at the same time because it's such a vast concept to consider that everything in the world that is created by human beings and someone even argue by creative creator beings is created with intention. And that's whether or not that's creating your business, you're creating it with intention. Whether you're throwing a pot on a wheel, that's created with an intention. And there are certain levels of intention that we bring to different aspects of our lives. And when we accept that everything is created intentionally, we kind of go, wow, you know, all of our ancestors created what they made weavings and, you know, the saddles for horses and the blankets and the food and the wheels and the drawings and even the way that a farm was laid out, everything was created with intention to per for the purpose. How is it utilized? How does it work? Who works with it? It's designed based on who interacts with it, what it's for, what you can see it doing in the future. And where we started coming into the challenge um, is with industrialization and mass production. Hmm. When things started to be able to be made beyond human hands, and of course there's obvious awesome advancements with not having everything be based on an individual making it. But when that happened, we actually started drawing off of resources in the environment and even within our own lives that were not sustainable for the planet and for humans. And so things started to be made without intention. Also, things started to be uh, made with an intention to harm or to tell a different story. So it's been happening all along. And my call to it is to, number one, bring our awareness to the reality that everything is created with intention, to give us authorship to say, oh, since that is so, what then am I creating with intention? And have I been being as intentional about it that I could be? And then ultimately, how does what we end up creating with intention change who interacts with it? In other words, others who interact with whatever it is that we create or our work, our clients, our students, our lovers, our children. If, if everything is intentional, even if you're unconscious about it, what changes if you choose to do it with a new kind of attentiveness, mindfulness, and I would even say bliss? <laughs> and, and, and is this something like this idea around everything is created with intention. Is this something that has been in your awareness since you were a little girl? Because I know that you were raised in an unconventional way by very unconventional wild women. <laughs> that is true. Now that I know what I'm looking for, I can see that it was everywhere in our lives. But if you don't know what you're looking for or at, then you don't, you aren't able to receive the full benefit or to use it consistency, consistently for resiliency. Hmm. I know that when my grandmother made me a blanket and 
put me underneath it with all these fabric swatches that she made that blanket with intention. All quilting, by the way, is intention, right? I know that when um, my mother made a dress for me to go to school so that I would feel as she thought that I felt as my little identity, that that was made with an intention to feel how I wanted to feel. I know that every part of how my family designed my life um, included this level of intentionality, but in my case, the joy of actual beauty because everybody were artists and carpenters and seamstresses. And so there was a level of care that was taken with what was made. The bookcase was made by the hands of women with an intention to say, this is where our books are and a woman made it. So everything was created that way. What they didn't necessarily know how to, to, to tell me to pull out is this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And this is why it's different. And this is why people feel better when they come into our work and home spaces. This is why we're my mom and grandma were entrepreneurs. This is why we're employing women. This is why we make the pattern this way. This is why we're not going to mass production in China, which is actually when my mother changed her business model was when she couldn't survive in the American made model. And she now in order to compete had to be forced to go to manufacturing and she chose a different route. So mm-hmm. at those moments of our business choices, I watched them all make these decisions to continue to make things by hand that could have been cast and reproduced. Mm-hmm. So I saw it all, but it wouldn't be until my 20s that I would really go, what is different about what we're doing? And what is the impact it could have if we brought our awareness to it, which ultimately is self-awareness, consciousness. And so it took me a while to figure out how to talk about it. Uh, but now I know how to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so for those, you know, that are watching, that are listening right now, you know, coaches, therapists, healers, practitioners of some kind, how do you really see intentional creativity impacting the work that we do with our clients? What have you noticed? You've been doing this for such a long time. Yeah. So I want to bring your awareness to the reality that every single faction of your life includes image, Mm. everything, (laughs) how you see and perceive what you wear, the, you know, who buys the wine that has the pretty label over the one that doesn't, Uh, who buys the color car that they want, who picks the shoes that they feel good in, who decides what logo they want to have that represents their energy or their business. We're all making these decisions all the time. Mm. And what, the invitation is, is to become more and more conscious about how we can co-create with ourselves as image makers. And there's something that since Amy and I've been talking about this, and since we've been uh, working on our program together called Motherboard, what's really come to my awareness is so much deeper than I originally thought, of course, because now I'm researching how many of us are image-based, who's using an image, how are they using it, how are they using it to dominate us and the culture to literally enforce systems of scarcity and to amplify issues of racism and to enforce all of these really strange realities that are being enforced. And we could spend all our life fighting that enforcement, or we could actually create in another space Hmm. by choosing to engage in the visual world, by becoming conscious visual thinkers. You're already doing it. By becoming aware of it, it changes how it works. This is so important at the level of our perception of ourself, our perception of all of our relationships, and how to bring your knowledge visual. You've heard of uh, knowledge 
you've heard of knowledge visualization, data visualization, really the whole technology world is based in that user interface visual reality. How do we make people understand everything, every infographic, every marketing, every icon, every emoji, all of that is created by image makers who have a specific end in mind. What's interesting for me is the gap between those of us who are doing brilliant, good work in the world and that. Like our, there's like this gap between being able to afford the beautiful website, being able to afford the beautiful graphic or knowing how to do it ourselves. How do we design our spaces and our systems and our relationships so that the image that we're presenting actually reflects the identity that we feel? Our um, gap, I'm sure there's a name for that in business, but it's like that stretch between you and your capacity to share yourself as you are is largely rooted in image. An image has been brought into such a specialization with graphics and with computers that a lot of us are kind of left in the dust if we don't consider ourselves creative. Part of what we're doing in intentional creativity is basically bringing awareness to everyone's creative. And with a few simple skills, you can actually bring visual knowledge to yourself and your client. And people learn visually, the majority of people, over 80% learn visually um, more than the other ways of learning hmm. because they can see it. And when you can see it, the information travels to your brain, the information goes into the body and a whole bunch of other neuro fancy things that the eye connects with. And so being able to empower people to choose to become visual consciously, not just, oh yeah, I see that, but oh yeah, I make that. And to communicate with image is one of the most powerful things that I think I could do for and with women. And I'd love, um, I didn't tell you I wanted to talk about this today, Amy, but I'd actually love to talk about um, image and women if, when it makes sense. Yeah, so I just wanna pull out a few things that Shiloh just shared, that you just shared, Shiloh, because I think that they're really important. So a couple of the things that I heard, and I just wanna like take a highlighter to them, are the impact of image and visual language that's around us all the time. We are taking this in, and as a mom myself with two daughters, it's been so fascinating to educate them and to send them to camps like Go Girls Camp and do different media literacy courses for them so that they can start to understand the impact that that photoshopped, airbrushed, non-real image of what they're quote-unquote supposed to look like, the impact that that has on them. And so as we take what's going on in our visual world and we bring it into our consciousness. That is amazing. And then what I also heard you saying is then we can also say, not only am I gonna be aware of the, of the impact that vision, the, the visual world is having on me, I'm then going to become a maker of that visual language from a place of consciousness and with intention. And then when we take that and we use it with our clients, that's when it gets to be that cutting edge place that we're talking about. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I love how Amy translates the way that I share information, which is why we have been teaching together for <laughs> nine years now, because we are an infinity sign of understanding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, so when I, I'd love for you, just because you brought it up to talk about women and image. And I mentioned that with my daughters as well, because yeah. it is so wild to yeah. see what's going on, especially with the access to image, to technology, to everything yeah. from phones in their hands, to pads in their hands, to yes. TVs everywhere, to billboards everywhere. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh my gosh. 
it, it, like I said, it feels so much bigger than I ever imagined uh, when we got started with me inviting people to be image makers who didn't think they were talented. So let's first just sep separate drawing and visual seeing and creativity itself from talent. Um, talent at, at drawing or painting or music or dance, that's a specialty. I'm not talking about the specialty talents. I'm talking about the inherent creativity within every single person. Doesn't matter what type you are, what you know, enneagram you are, what sign you are, left brain, right brain, A type. It actually doesn't matter. Every single part of you is creative, and we aren't accessing that in the way that we could. And when we don't access it in the way that we could, we actually are kind of snowed in or taken under by the images that others are presenting for us about who we should be. So I just want to share just a couple quick things about image. I'll go as quickly as I can because we know we have a whole bunch of other things to, to cover. But just to say that the images of women have been being produced for over 200,000 years. And there was a reason why our ancestors wanted images of women we produced. And there are many more than there um, ever were of the masculine hmm. throughout recorded and unrecorded history. Uh, people use images in um, the Stanford lockdown psych ward when women are going through a loop, if they can get them to color in an image, the loop will stop. That lets us know about the brain. Women who have worked with my images with clients through challenges as diverse as business and therapy and divorce have discovered that after years of working in language and face only, when they brought image in, even just coloring, they weren't even making their own image, they were able to see almost immediately what was happening with the client. Members of our community who work with children, if they can get them to draw first, their retention for language will be stronger. An entire generation of mamas in the United States stopped breastfeeding in the 70s range um, because of a, a marketing ad created by Nestle that showed that you know breastfeeding was for those who didn't have resources and bottles were for people who really had resources. And if you ask mom why she stopped breastfeeding suddenly, because even the wealthy breastfed before that, unless they were super, super wealthy, right? They don't know the reason because they took the image in. So we're, we're buying into these images and these personas which are being sold to us. And it's, it's extremely dangerous because it's really informing our self-image. There's a lot of things about self, but the way that you hold your self-image is actually creating a framework for how you relate in every single relationship that you have. Mm -hmm. So if your self-image feels da damaged or um, unworthy or whatever the stories you make up about your image, it's held in an image and it's not just held in an image you have in your mind, it's actually held in your body language, it's held in how you talk, it's held in, you know, we won't get into this now, but it's actually held in your whole field, your entire pattern of being is holding an image of you that you are creating that you aren't usually conscious of being at cause for. Mm -hmm. And so the invitation is to be at cause for the image of yourself, the image you project out into the world, and the image that you engage with in relationship to, to clients and people that you work with. Working with image simply is easier to communicate a point at the basic level. And then one other level that I've only recently become aware of um, is called biopower. And it's how image is used to portray uh, human beings in images. So uh, markedly cave paintings and paintings, markedly in different spiritual and philosophical traditions. 
as the curators of those traditions wanted the roles of men and women to change, they actually changed the posture of the women and the men in the image to shape the culture. And this is something, an image change in culture of how women are presented could take place over five or 10,000 years. So it's a gradual but very curated change. One I just looked at recently was women in the early Christian, Judaic, and Islamic tradition, some of the earliest images, their hands are like this. They're in prayer, they're in power, they're standing, their hands are out, and they're just like in power, or they're in a teaching mudra. Over not that long now, a couple hundred years, they started changing all those images to demure, to passive, to second, to behind. Now the images in the past back up a different image-based reality. And without the discovery of those images, which are mostly were mostly hidden, uh, we wouldn't know that the posture had changed. And so an entire culture of women, whether or not they were involved in those spiritual traditions or not, have been buying into these idealized stories that are created by people, I don't think who are on our side, who want to be empowered, and so the actual way the body is shaped is indicating the culture and the role of the feminine inside of society. This is also, if you do stock images, when you're building a web page or you do marketing, what, you know, look at what is the body language of the people? But guess what? They're so hip to it now. Now they're showing, you know, now there's an Asian woman and a black woman and a white woman. And they're like, oh, having a great time because we're so diverse. You know, they're just curating and doing what they having us buy into these structures that aren't necessarily how we're feeling and we don't even know we're doing it we're like oh yeah i want to be inclusive oh here's a woman you know with her briefcase who's in her high heels but she looks like she's having a good time yeah i want that so we actually purchase into and code to images that we think we want or are going to be acceptable and the reality is most of them aren't really representing how we feel at all Mm. Mm. and there is another way but it's an invitation to be co-creative with it and to become aware that we don't need to buy into those programs anymore. And so this really brings into our mind and into our heart, the power of creating our own visual language that represents the actual truth, not just for ourselves, but also for our clients. So as business owners, as entrepreneurs, if you're in that field, what can you do to create your own visual language that accurately represents the truth of who you are and what you want to be bringing into the world? And then additionally, bringing that into the work that you do with your clients. And you said something earlier, Shiloh, that I think is so important, and I love it when you say this, that you know, talent and creativity do not have to go hand in hand. They are not, you know, it's not that you, talent is required in order for you to be creative which is a message that most of us got when we were young, when we were young little boys and girls on the playground, when we were in art class, and, and all of a sudden we looked over at the person next to us and they could draw the tree way better than you could draw the tree, and then that's it, you gave up and said, I'm not a creative person. Yes, which points to a very important human experience. The moment that it is pointed out that whatever we're creating is or isn't talented impacts the brain so powerfully that the majority of people who are asked the question, do you remember the last time you were creative as a child? Do you remember when you put down the crayons? Do you remember when you stepped away from the easel? When do you remember when you stopped dancing or when you used to play drums or sing and then you stopped? It's usually an external reference point by some well or unwell meaning adult who says something which has you 
question, generally speaking, just this is across many thousands of people, but not every single person, has you question your own reality and actually your own sanity. Because if this person's tree is good and your tree is not representing the tree, you actually start to ask about your own image because that external image that you created on the page is you experience it as an extension of you. Like when the child is first holding the pencil or crayon and they're drawing the joy that they feel and the passion that they feel, that is them expressed externally in a way that they can see and that they're in charge of. This is not them in a mirror. This is not them on a video. This is not them being reflected by you. This is them reflected to them. This is self-awareness. This is cognition. This is part of the development of the homo sapien uh, awakening to consciousness is through awareness of self making mark. This is primordial and ancient. And yet when we don't engage with that or know that, then we're of course letting things happen to us and having that end up shaping us. We want to invite you to work with yourself and with others in your lives through image, having nothing to do with talent. Crazy enough, the, um, the people who have less skill in drawing actually get greater results from an intuitive perspective because people who have skill in drawing can dominate the outcome. And the people who don't are more in what we call the potential of a flow state, which is also an extremely popular topic in the whole you know, tech world right now, how you can achieve flow state with these very extravagant means of these giant swings and going through, you know, these giant rocks and microdosing and all the stuff. There's books written on it. It's just like everybody's involved in this. How to feel the flow. Guess what? Drawing will take you there. And so not only will drawing reveal something that is intuitive and hidden most of the time, but we also have huge results of people experience, experiencing freedom of pain while they're drawing, mm-hmm. access to cognition, a state of flow. People sometimes even feel giddy, having nothing to do with knowing how to draw anything external. And I will just say that my personal story is that I did not draw well. Um, ever since everyone in my family was pretty much an artist, I was not the promising one, let's just say. And I continue to create because I experience myself as a creative being, but I continue to have it reflected back to me that isn't right. That isn't good enough. I don't know how I made it through all the negative feedback. And even my own family wasn't like, wow, you're an artist. Like I wasn't really receiving a lot of support. I just knew I was, and I knew it was my survival to be creative. And so it's actually my struggle with not being able to create the tree as it exists outside that led to intentional creativity. So this is born out of my own challenge, my own Um, inability to communicate an external reference point. So, and some of the recent studies about the most powerful and original people in the world, it isn't actually the the prodigies who know everything. Actually, they end up having a pretty hard time. It's those who graded normally, those who, you know, were a little bit on the edge, but couldn't quite, quite do things the way everyone else did. Those who have to, who are forced to innovate are the ones who end up becoming the most original in their life. So it's actually the challenge and the struggle of of that needing to communicate in your own way that creates innovation and originality and ends up becoming the leaders in the field. And that is part of a huge study that's going on in the business world right now. Like, why are these people the most original when they they flunked out of school or whatever it was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how do you recommend people use creativity with their clients? 
Yeah. So it's, it's so simple. It's deceptive how simple it is. It's basically when you're in a dialogue with someone, inviting them to draw what they're feeling or what they know, instead of just telling you. And to start with what they feel, what they know, what they're dealing with, what is the sensation of that, and literally through doodling or scribbling without an intention other than just moving the pen, activates metacognition, which allows you to move past the prefrontal cortex, which usually stops you, or as the part that says that's not really a drawing. Well, if you're not trying to duplicate something, then that isn't even there. So you're just kind of be like, woo, just go past that. And as your, your client engages with this simple opening process, you know, alternative to a meditation or breath, not only is stress reduced in five minutes, their access to their information is totally different. What they say to you, what actually happens in your session is going to be totally different than that mental yakking processing over and over and over and you're trying to get them to discover what it is that you see that they're not seeing but you just months go by and they're not getting it if they could draw it from any perspective what they know what they feel it doesn't even matter almost the framework although you can try different ones they will begin to speak differently simply because their brain is activated differently and this is about access to how we actually work and we work in form. We don't just work in talking. We actually used to be much more physical beings. So it's a return to the physicality, even of just moving your hand while you're witnessing what it is that you see happening in front of you. So will you give us a demo of this? Can we have an experience of this together? We sure can. And it feels kind of scary. Like it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) is it going to get through, you know? I know, right? Well, that's that's how it always is for those of you that are coaches or therapists or what have you. It's like when you're using a tool, when you're bringing it out, especially if it's a newer tool for you, it's like, we'll see. Okay, here goes nothing. Hopefully this is going to work this time. I know whenever I do coaching demos in front of a room and I don't know what's going to happen, it's always like, all right, we'll see what happens this time. And it's always amazing to see what happens. It is. Yeah. And I think that with this, like I said, it's kind of deceptive because it's so simple, but we work with thousands of people and we know that, that it works. So I invite you to suspend disbelief and just play. And, um, whether you've got a posted or an address book page or a calendar, it doesn't matter, whatever you've got, we're just going to work, work with it. And I have, um, a board here and just two colors of pens. Even if you have one, that's okay too. So what I would love for us to do is work with something extremely real that's happening in your life right now. For you to, um, let's look at your work with, with others. Let's look at your care for those that you're working with or for the planet, whatever it is. So what do you really care about seeing happen in the world at this time? Or what is, what is on your heart? If you just are asked the question, what is on your heart? Just close your eyes for a moment and see if there's something literally on your heart, if there's an image, doesn't matter what it is, what is on your heart? Could be a simple shape or something you saw in the news. What is on your heart? In other words, you're holding it with your love. And if you don't see a shape, what's the feeling of what's on your heart? And we're working with the metaphor on your heart. And so let's just go ahead and draw kind of an abstract heart. I'm going to put a little bit of original shape at the top of mine, like there's 
like flames or leaves, just so it's not the valentine heart. And then if you were to draw the shape of what you feel like is on your heart, what is the shape of that? And you cannot get this wrong. You are not controlling the pen. You are simply allowing whatever wants to come up to come up. And sometimes it feels strange, right? Because you're like, I don't know how to draw that. So just start moving your pen. What is on your heart? And the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna do a dancing stick figure. And this dancing stick figure, you're gonna do in one fluid line. And this dancing stick figure is going to give you an insight. So you can just write the word insight. Insight is what we're going after for this process. Like we want information about what it is that you're carrying on your heart or in your heart for others or for the earth. We're going to do this dancing figure who is going to liberate you and provide insight into how you're carrying this and how this can actually be moved into action. Like, you know, one of the things Amy and I deal with a lot is um, what's happening in the world. And we'll often get on the phone and cry before we have our business meetings about WTF, can you believe that this is happening, specifically regarding women and girls and the earth and safety for children? And so we share what is on our heart, right? And through sharing it, it starts to get moved. But a lot of times those residual images, like the one you saw of the children in the encampment or the one, you know, the, the client who's in the divorce and her face, we actually are recording these images all the time and they get stuck. And so what ends up happening is that the area around the heart begins to carry all of this excess grief. And it begins to carry it for others beyond yourself. And you don't even know necessarily all that you're holding. What if you could move that energy yourself? And what if you could invite your clients, those who are serving, to also move it? Guess what? Whatever we're really going to be able to work with is behind that. But we can't get there because the grief and the frustration that we often feel is blocking the action. We're overwhelmed so we can't see. So as you draw this little figure, you say something to yourself like, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to have an insight about how I'm carrying the stories of the world and I want to move it. And as I'm moving my pen, it's actually moving and showing me something. And so the key is to hold this gently while you're moving the pen. And I'll demonstrate just so you can see the fluidity and then you can go from there. So I'm going to look at my page, do this drawing for myself because whenever you're demonstrating, you're doing the work for yourself too as the coach or teacher. You're, this is not some drawing that I'm not feeling into. I'm doing it with you. And that brings the, the energy and the authenticity and the intimacy to it. So watch me as I do this dancing stick figure while I hold this question. And so I intuitively just followed my pen. I did not control it. And it ended up going up and off my mind and actually landed back into my heart. 
And then there's a next part of the process, which you'll do after you have a chance to go ahead and do your movement. And the key is while you're doing this drawing, this energy is actually starting to move and it can't not. I mean, that's the, the quantum part of it, which we'll get into in other conversations that we may have together. But when you say to yourself, I am moving this, it can't not move, but you could not be aware that it's moving. We're asking you to be aware that through a simple drawing, you could actually start to move the heaviness and you could actually get access to an insight. So let's go ahead and just take 30 seconds or so to do your dancing figure, um, not lifting the pen. And that's you moving your own energy. And the dancing figure, Shiloh, is the question that we're asking is what? Is just, I want it, I want insight and I want to move the energy of whatever I'm holding. So whatever you ended up drawing above the heart. Okay, and so now we're bringing in language and you're going to write a sentence somewhere in your image of what you know. So what I know about this is, and then just write whatever comes. What I know about this is, is I cannot carry the stories in my body. I can move it. And so if I'm holding whatever it is in my heart or in my heart space, I know that I have to move it because those of us who work with others can become really bogged down with what we carry for others. And so my wisdom that I receive from this is that I have to move it. And if I was in a coaching session and, and this was my result and I was the client then the coach could easily move into, well, how are we going to move it? What are you carrying? Who are you carrying it for? What would you like to do about it? And instantly the person becomes co-creative and designing a solution. So not only does the coach and practitioner then not have to be at cause for all the wisdom, because actually the wisdom, as you know, is from the, the client. They don't often know how to get there. From a process like this, which could take five minutes at the beginning of a session, you could ultimately end up at, they will co-create their entire solution. Is, I know exactly 10 things I can do to make this happen. And then you are the witness. And so I also feel like it's going to be not necessarily like less work, but less heavy to be constantly providing breakthroughs because they are going to provide it for themselves. And they also then are at cause for implementing instead of using, well, you know what you could do is, 
you know, and giving them these things and saying, did you do your homework? What if they're completely at cause? What will be different about them originating the solution? And then guess what? They have this image at the end of the session, whether that's virtual or in person, that they then can continue to work with. And instead of giving them classic kinds of coaching homework, you could actually um, give them a couple more drawings to go into each one of these facets could go into whole other other processes. So I think it not only makes the sessions more dynamic and interesting, takes a lot of pressure off the practitioner or coach to make it amazing every time and also puts the, the client in such a position of personal power for creating their own solution and their total awareness that their solutions are actually within and that if they'll engage with the body in some way, like drawing or dancing, they could have access to that information. And what healer or practitioner or coach doesn't want their client to have access to their own information? I don't know, but. I love it. Well, and that's, you know, in a pure coaching setting, it really is about helping your client find their own answers. It's not about advising. It's not about advice giving. It's purely about helping them find their own truth. So what I love about this, and this, this is metacognitive drawing, what Shiloh just did for us, is that it allows us, like here's my drawing here, it allows us to understand and get access to information. My I know statement is I know that this is here to teach me. And so then if I was working with my coach, she could say, so what is the it and what, is, what are you learning? What are yep. you being taught right now? Yeah. That could actually help us circumvent the usual beginning of sessions where there is a lot of processing, when there's a lot of even nerves happening. Yeah. You know, people will often talk in, um, in a therapist setting about the, the doorknob confession, right? You've gotten through an entire 50-minute session. Your client's going to leave. They put their hand on the doorknob and turn around and say, the thing, the truth that they really should have started the session with, right? <laughs> the doorknob confession of like, oh, and by the way, I cheated on my wife oh, and by the way, I, I'm feeling like I, I don't fit in anywhere or whatever it is. Right. We all have that experience, what, whether you're a therapist or a coach or practitioner of any kind, where it's like they, they finally have unwound enough, unraveled enough to be able to land and speak their truth so that you can really work with that. So I, I invite all of you that are here live with us, uh, whether on Facebook or here on Zoom, to go ahead and feel free in the chat to share with us some of the things that your I know statement, what it is that you know, where you were able to get to. And I think that this is such a powerful way to work with our clients that really circumvents the inner mean girl, which is what I call the inner critic in my work, that allows us to get to that space of inner wisdom so much faster and so much more... Um, in a, in a much more creative and fun way too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Shiloh, I know that you have your teacher training coming up. Um, that's really a train the trainer for people who are already working with clients on their own to really bring metacognitive drawing and intentional creativity processes into their practice. Can you tell us a little bit about the intentional creativity coaching certification that you're, that you're unveiling at the time, at this moment, yeah. Absolutely. I want to give one more instruction. Oh, yes, please. Continue with this of just, if I brought this awareness into my life, like whatever I got today, um, how would I feel? And mm -hmm. it's the feeling that then 
I carry out into the rest of my life. So you wouldn't necessarily leave them here. You would be like, well, if you had this or if this was solved, how would you feel? And that actually helps um, just lift up the energy of like, well, I would feel like if I really could know how to not carry suffering in my body, I feel liberated. Yeah. And so I say to myself, well, could I feel liberated right now? Mm-hmm. And what I might do then is do another drawing of liberation and where I'm simply not doing anything. I'm just doodling. I'm moving my pen with no intention. My body's moving and I'm just exploring. I would feel liberated. Mm-hmm. And what's literally happening somatically is that the feeling of liberation, because you've already been somatic and intellectual is reverberating through your body, which allows for this to be integrated, which creates resiliency. Like there's a whole science behind it, which is part of what we're going to be talking about in motherboard. So thank you so much, Amy. Thank you everyone for participating, whether you've got that or not, just like, how do, do you feel curious, right? Because curiosity is one of the things that brings the brain out of the default mode network and out here into um, somewhere we haven't been before. And for each of us to become a cause for our own image, it doesn't take tons of time and tools. Like it could have just happened for you. But for those of us who really want to bring a specific visual literacy to our own work and to our client base, there are some very clear tools, especially with how visuals, guiding visuals maps to the coaching or practitioner relationship. It's not immediately obvious, even though it's so simple, how to navigate the dialogue. And so part of the training that we're offering called Motherboard is an invitation to learn how to directly work with clients in process, no matter whether that's a bodywork session or a you know, a a boardroom session. We have graphic recorders on the team who are going to help people learn how to illustrate story. We're going to be working a lot with um, thinking with a pen, how you actually are able to receive information while you're drawing. And we're doing it all within a framework of bring this to your one-on-one clients, bring this to your group work, bring this to the boardroom, bring this to the temple, bring any place that you are working can you bring visuals into that environment? And what does that look like for you to do that? And what will that change for you? Not only do Amy and I believe that 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 is the cutting edge for us as practitioners, but so does technology. In fact, the, the statistics around visual technology in terms of what actually has been created over the internet has been created in some ridiculously short amount of time. And the majority of what you see in technology, I think about 90% or something is actually image-based. And so this isn't some Shiloh spiritual creative thing, although I bring my own wackiness to it. It's where technology is. And it's one of the times in history where the artists and the creative minds and the originals are converging with technology at the same time. This has happened before with quantum physics. And I don't think this is any less than that. The empowerment of those who are helping healing professionals becoming at cause for their visual language and literally shaping the design of the future. We need to become the co-creators and we need a little bit of practice doing that, especially if we've been, you know, not drawing for a long time and not thinking about thinking metacognition um, in a really conscious way. So we'll be spending six months together um, for a gorgeous experience that is like we have calls every single week, but at the same time, not tons of homework. So we've designed it to work with a really busy full-time schedule, someone who already has a whole life going on to just immediately begin to supplement with these tools. Chances are you could start using this right now, right? You could immediately turn around and use this. So 
Our hope is that the tools have immediate accessibility. You'll be able to start to market to them, to your existing client base to say, guess what? I've got this new visual literacy thing. I can't wait for our next session. How about sign up for the next five sessions? We also have a very awesome um, technology about sales of how to start to speak about this to your clients. And it is the edge if you haven't been doing it, but it also, like I said, is the edge of business at this time. This is what they are looking at. They're looking at, the big business is looking at visual knowledge and how to communicate and get across to us what they want us to think and know. And we're coming and we're saying, actually, we're at cause for our own thinking and knowing. And we're going to get that in practice. So part of the practice is changing the way that we work with our brain, how information has been patterned and wired, the hidden biases, stories, ideas, and concepts, and modes and ways of working. Through our time together, you'll be retraining your brain and how you see and all of your senses and mapping that to your identity and your consciousness, getting practice, creating those new habits. And that's why it's called motherboard, because it's it's both a technology term, of course, but it is also a term that we're using as sort of a metaphoric leap into you have all of your information around you all the time that you're drawing from. And you don't necessarily know where or what you're drawing from. Also, traumas happen, we get triggered. So we're actually being sort of... Um, you know, bombarded by so much information coming towards us and our own. So motherboard is the reorganization as well of the stories that you hold about yourself. And our hope is that you'll be empowered to bring this out into your life, into your relationships, and particularly with those clients that you serve. The, the application is pretty endless and so are the themes. You know, I like to say this can be taken at a corporate level at the level of graphic recording, illustrating a board meeting and a story. It can also be used with a client who, you know, was coming for one thing, but whose pet just died and that's what's up for them. And then you help them through that. This, this is agnostic to theme. You will be empowered to apply this to any theme. And my biggest hope is that in your life, you would have the kind of consciousness and awareness that no matter what is happening, that you would be able to drop in to a drawing process with someone, no matter what the theme is, without having a template, without having a predetermined approach. There's no step, there's no pattern. You immediately have relevancy because you have your tools available and your brain knows how to address challenge in the moment. And those of us who serve are gonna be called on more and more to create relevant tools for resiliency for our clients and for our communities. Oh, relevant. I love that. I said, I love it. Uh, relevant tools to for relevancy and for really being able to work with our clients on the cutting edge. And no matter what our clients are bringing to us, that we can then initiate a drawing process, a super simple drawing process. I mean, we had, we did this in one of my um, corporate groups and all that the woman had was a sticky, sticky note. She was working on something this big with a pencil and she still got something. It was amazing. It was like, that's what happens. Sometimes you're in, you know, sometimes when I go into major companies and I'm an external coach and I, and I come in and I work with someone, I'm in that, you know, a conference room. We don't know what's going to come up. Usually there's tears of some kind and to be able to then help them process in five to seven minutes, something that normally would take up half, if not 75% of the session right. so that we can then move that out of the way, but in a way where it's genuinely processed, where it's genuinely like, okay, yes, I've taken this 
and, and I've moved it. Movement has happened. And now let's get into what's going on with your team, what's going on with whatever's going on. Yeah. And that movement is, is the key because um, challenges in organizations and physically come through stagnation. Yes. Across the board, any system, stagnation, lack of movement. And so the capacity to have a gift to move something that moves the physical body and the energy is really a gift. And I feel like we're doing so much time thinking and even meditating and even being mindful and all these mental things that aren't mapped to movement. And I mean movement by like moving the pen and moving your body and talking with your hands and demonstrating physically, like when I'm in the room demonstrating this and we're that I'm standing up and I'm moving around like this little we need movement especially those of us who are in technology we have got to get up and move around and get you know to blow the dust off of all of these um systems and to bring new light I also just want to say when you do this work you feel joyful And when I do coaching with others and I haven't included drawing for whatever reason, I don't have the tools. I didn't plan for it. I thought I didn't have the energy, whatever. I literally feel heavy. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, how am I going to come up with something else brilliant? I really need to help this person. I find myself going into my own mental process of how to be the best I can be for that person, which ends up being about me. When I'm drawing or having them draw, I actually feel light. I actually feel energized at the end of the process. I usually keep on drawing. The time goes away. So that's one of the things that, um, there's a book called stealing fire that talks all about how this is used in technology and with Navy seals and all of this, the flow thing. One of the things that happens with flow is timelessness. Mm. You lose track of time. It goes really fast richness. You have increased sensory awareness and you also have a sense of selflessness for a few seconds or even minutes or even an hour you forget to think about you. And that is so healing and so awesome to not be like, how can I help? Did you notice what they're doing? Wow, their body language. We're just processing as we're working with people. We actually don't need to be doing that. You can, you probably already did. Let's try something else. Let's try being in the joy of creativity and the movement that happens and see what's possible. I've been witnessing thousands of people, sometimes in one class where we're doing a simple drawing, light up and move stuff that's been stuck for years. It kind of feels miraculous to me. We cry. We're like, what just happened? (sighs) Simple drawing. So I hope that this inspires you, whether you choose to work with Amy and I and the motherboard journey or just start doing more of this in your life. This belongs to everyone. You don't need the training to do this. This belongs to everyone. What we're going to do is um, learn to systematize and pattern and turn it into templates and all of those things that we need in order for it to be immediately accessible. Love it. So I just want to encourage if you're in, inspired, intrigued, curious, all in, no matter where you are, you can check out what Shiloh's talking about, Motherboard, which is her intentional creativity coaching method training and certification. And I'm so excited to be on board as the director of coaching and to really bring the coaching world and context in with Shiloh's incredible creative genius, I know you're going to love it. You can go to intentionalcreativitycoaching.com. There's also links posted everywhere here, whether on Zoom or on Facebook. You can click any of those links and that will take you to a page where you can um, begin to look at the guide of what this particular training is all about. So we would absolutely love to have you come and, and be with us over the course of six months. The training starts in September and really be able to dive more fully into this 
integrate art and creativity into your already established practice. Again, whether what, no matter how you work with people, we really believe that this is the cutting edge, that bringing this and adding this to your magical toolbox will be something that will really take your coaching and the way that you work with people to the next level. I am so excited for it personally. <laughs> I'm so excited. So with that, Shiloh, anything else that you want to say? One of the things I always like to ask people when I interview them is, what is messy and what's magical about your life right now? Mm. Oh, my art studio is an absolute mess. <laughs> a literal mess, huh? Real. It really is. I'm trying to hide it a little bit with my new magic whiteboard that my husband got me for our anniversary. That's a funny gift, right? To have, get like a board on wheels. That's so cool. <laughs> um, so my studio is a mess. Uh, my husband and I are opening an art and wine bar in Tiburon, uh, near our home. And so I'm doing stuff like I'm painting candlesticks with roses and I'm finishing paintings and I'm gathering up. So I'm in creative mode and it's just like a disaster. Forget about the laundry. I don't, there's just food, laundry, doesn't even matter. <laughs> so that's messy and that feels good too. And, um, magical. I, I am in a magic space with this process with metacognitive drawing. I feel like all my life, I've been teaching consciousness and painting and since my 20s and making books and running programs. And it's fascinating to me that the most simple gift that I use for myself, which is to draw, to know, um, I've waited all this time to teach. I don't know why. Mm. And it's like finally here and I'm blown away by what's happening. I'm in awe, actually, of the simplicity of this, because a lot of my other work, you know, you have to have giant canvas and a painting and a couple of days and finances and all these other very, you know, rich and heavy things that are hugely part of my life. But to be able to do this with a child who's in crisis or a loved one, or my husband and I do it when we get in the little like, well, how does this work? We don't agree. We just draw it out and we feel different. So I'm in awe of this tool. And I'm, I'm like living in the glow of bringing it out, like bringing it out because it's, um, I feel like it's a gift to humanity. I really do. Like, I feel like this is such a gift and all of our early ancestors did this. Not only did our early ancestors do this, but again, every technology, the architect, the spaceship builder, the car builder, the plumber, the gardener, like nobody really does anything without drawing on paper or in their mind or designing and so things that are created like that. And so doing stuff where we're just like talking or just listing things on a computer screen in order doesn't allow for the fullness. So the idea that, that each one of us could take responsibility for our co-creative capacity uh, feels magical. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shiloh. And with that, thank you all so much for tuning in. Until next time, it's Amy and Shiloh. Thank you everyone for joining. Bye-bye everyone. Thank you. <laughs>